text for this morning's sermon is Colossians 3, verse 13. Paul is calling us to put on Christ, and that includes bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we're going to deal with the Lord's call for each of us to forgive one another as he has forgiven us. When the topic of forgiveness comes up, who do you think about? Is there someone in your life who has hurt you greatly? Perhaps it's your dad or your mom, your husband or wife, a brother or sister or some other close relative. Perhaps it's a brother or sister in the church community or a former classmate at school. Or some friend who has betrayed your trust. Have you forgiven him or her for the wrong that she or she did to you? You need to do that. In this past year, in our home visits, we at Redeemer dealt with the theme of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of growing in holiness. It's the process of growing so that more and more we may reflect the image of Christ in our daily lives. In most of the home visits, the elders read from Colossians 3, 12 to 17. In reviewing the home visits in a more general way at the end of the season, the elders reported that many of us find it difficult to follow the Lord's instruction in Colossians 3.13, where we're called to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. And so this morning and also next week, we'll spend some time on this matter. To begin with, we need to come to a good understanding of what forgiveness is. Many people are not clear about what they mean when they speak about forgiving someone. We need to understand that forgiveness is most often a process which requires communication. We need to confront the person who has wronged us, that he or she knows that we have a complaint against them. Opportunity needs to be given for repentance so we can truly forgive, so the matter can be laid to rest. And yet, beloved, all this doesn't deal with the pain, the heartache, the sorrow, the anger, the bitterness that often lives in us when people have sinned against us. When someone has wronged us, betrayed us, has deeply hurt us, has assaulted us, has abused us, has sinned in any kind of a way that hurts us deeply. We, don't, we often don't want to forgive. Our instinctive desire is to want to see them get hurt, to get vengeance for the horrible things that person did to me. Forgiving feels like Letting someone off the hook. 
We'd rather see them suffer like they made us suffer. And so this morning, we'll also spend some time to see why it is that God calls us to forgive those who have sinned against us. I preach to you the good news of the gospel under the following theme, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We'll consider what forgiveness is, what forgiveness requires, and our motivation for forgiveness. Many Christians do not have a clear understanding of what forgiveness is. Yes, they understand what it means for God to forgive their sins and how that happens. But they don't understand what it means for us to forgive one another. If you read different books about forgiveness, you'll see that Christian pastors and counselors have very different understandings about what's meant by forgiveness. That's a problem. If you don't understand what forgiveness is or how it works, it's really hard to practice it in our daily lives. In 1984, a man named Louis Smedes published a book titled Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve. Louis Smedes was a renowned Christian author, an ethicist, and a theologian in the Reformed tradition. His book sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It's representative of and responsible for a great deal of wrong Christian thinking about forgiveness. Smedes defined forgiveness as ceasing to feel resentment or anger over an offense or perceived offense. In his mind, forgiveness is a strategy for defeating bitterness and hate. He privatizes forgiveness by making it primarily an activity that goes on within a person's heart and mind. For Smedes, forgiveness has a therapeutic function. It's all about healing you inside. Biblical forgiveness is relational. It's about confronting and dealing with sins committed between people, that their relationship may be restored. For Smedes, forgiveness is a feeling. It's ceasing to feel resentment or hate. Biblical forgiveness is a commitment to pardon the offender. For Smedes, Forgiveness is motivated primarily by self-interest. It's to help you move forward in your own individual life. Biblical forgiveness is motivated by love for God and for our neighbor. Now, there's a reason why Smetty's book has sold so many copies. We live in a sinful and broken world, and people sin against each other all the time. Many of us carry deep hurts within us because of this. Smedi's book empowers people on a pathway of healing. When sinned against, they were a victim. 
But now they can take charge of their own life and of their feelings. Instead of being burdened by memories of past wrongs committed against us, we can do something about it. I choose to stop feeling resentment or hate. And in and of itself, that's good. But it's not forgiveness. To truly understand forgiveness, we have to go back to the Bible. But how do we ensure that our definition of forgiveness is based on what the Bible teaches? I would suggest that to rightly understand forgiveness, we need to understand how God forgives us. For the Bible makes clear that God expects believers to forgive others in the way that God forgave them. This principle stated in different places in the Bible. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Please note the use of the word as in these texts. We are to forgive one another as God has forgiven us. So how does God forgive us? What does that mean? And what does it involve? To properly understand this, we need to begin with the doctrine of total depravity. We need to understand that with the fall into sin, Adam and Eve and all their descendants became so corrupt that by nature we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor. See, beloved, our human tendency is to compare ourselves with other people and then to think, I'm not really so bad. But we're not accountable to measure up to other people. We have to answer to a perfectly holy and just God. See, beloved, we don't just make a few mistakes in life. A few errors in judgment. We're selfish and self-seeking. Daily we think and say and do things that are displeasing to the Lord. Things that grieve Him deeply. Daily we sin against others around us. We hurt them. We don't show the love that God requires of us. This morning we read together the parable Jesus told about the unforgiving servant. Jesus told this parable in answer to Peter's question about how often it was necessary to forgive his brother. Jesus told the story of a servant who owed just this massive debt. The servant would have to work for 20 years to earn one talent. He owed 10,000 talents. It's a debt he would never be able to repay. And that's us, beloved. You and me, we're like that servant. Our sins are innumerable. We don't have the ability to pay for them. And yet in the parable, 
the master forgave this servant. Jesus says that out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Forgiveness is an act of grace. It's a gift God freely gives us, his children. Our Heavenly Father doesn't require us to make payment for our sins. He doesn't demand his pound of flesh. He knows we cannot pay. Instead, God has compassion on us. He cancels the debts that we owe him. So he restores us in our relationship with him. How is it possible for God to forgive us all our many sins? Only in Jesus Christ. See, beloved, the Bible teaches that there is a penalty for sin and that that penalty must be paid. The penalty for sin is the wrath of God. We deserve to come under his condemnation to suffer hell forevermore. Yet God, out of pure grace, has sent his Son to deliver us from our sins. Christ came to suffer and die for our sins. He himself was perfect. He never, ever sinned. And yet he went the way of the cross. He suffered God's wrath in the hellish agony endured during the three hours of darkness. It's only because Christ has atoned for our sins that we're covered in God's sight. So what happens when God forgives us? Well, the Bible uses some beautiful images to describe this. Psalm 103 speaks about how the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The psalmist writes, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The prophet Micah also gives a graphic picture of how God removes our sins from us. In Micah 7, 19, he says, He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah speaks in chapter 44, 22, about how the Lord will sweep away our fences like a cloud. Our sins like the morning mist. The point is this. When God forgives, he wipes the slate clean. He no longer holds us accountable for our sins. Let's now apply this to what our text teaches us. In Colossians 3, Paul teaches us to put to death whatever is earthly in us and to put on Christ and his virtues. We're to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
Then Paul calls us to bear with one another and he adds, If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The call is to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. What does that mean? When God forgives us, he does something. He acts graciously. He no longer holds our sins against us. He wipes the slate clean. And similarly, when we forgive others, this involves more than just a feeling. We also need to act graciously. We need to make a commitment to no longer hold that person's sin against him or her. Ken Sand, a Christian author who has written extensively about peacemaking, summarizes the four promises that Christians make when they forgive another. We promise, one, I will not dwell on this incident. Two, I will not bring up this incident and use it against you. Three, I will not talk to others about this incident. And four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. To summarize, just as when God forgives us, he wipes the slate clean. So when we forgive others, we make a commitment not to hold their sins against them anymore. By now, some of you may be thinking, it's easy for your pastor to stand in front of church and preach a sermon about forgiveness. But he doesn't understand my circumstances doesn't understand how greatly I've been sinned against, the trauma and the abuse I've suffered. Doesn't get my hurt and my pain, my anger, my frustration, my bitterness. Am I supposed to just forgive and forget? Should the person who sinned against me just get off scot-free? Shouldn't he or she be held accountable in some kind of way? We'll deal with these questions in our second point. You know, we'll consider what forgiveness requires. The gospel is all about God's grace in Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation is that Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay for our sins. The gift of forgiveness is offered to all. But does this mean that all people are forgiven by God? Do all actually receive forgiveness for their sins? Will all people be restored to a right relationship with God? Are all going to be saved and will all enjoy everlasting life? I think we all know the answer to those questions. Not all will be saved. The Bible is clear about that. When Jesus began his public ministry, he issued the call, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. 
In John 3, verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Acts 20, verse 21, Paul summarizes ministry in this way. He spoke of testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes clear that God's forgiveness is conditional. We need to repent and believe in order to receive forgiveness for our sins from God. This teaches us something very important about forgiving one another. Like God, we should be eager to forgive those who have sinned against us. It's not right, beloved, to be angry, to hold a grudge, to want to get even with someone for the way that they have sinned against us. It should be our heartfelt desire to be able to wipe the slate clean, to no longer hold that person's sins against him or her. That can be a real struggle for us. And if it is, we need to pray for God's grace and spirit. We need to pray that God may transform us so that more and more we become willing to wholeheartedly forgive our neighbor. But forgiveness is not automatic. God will not forgive us if we don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And in the same way, for us to truly forgive someone who has hurt us deeply, that person needs to be repentant. The Bible teaches this clearly in our reading from Luke 17. Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. In most situations, forgiveness requires true repentance. I want to qualify that statement. In our relationship with God, we often confess specific sins. But there are many sins we commit that we're not even aware of. And God and his grace covers them. In the same way, the Bible speaks about how in our interpersonal relationships, love covers a multitude of sins. When we're in a good relationship with family members or friends, we don't need to nitpick every single thing that they do wrong. We understand how prone we are to sin. We're willing to show grace and love to one another. Yet there are sins that we commit against one another that bother us, that hurt us, that get in the way of a good relationship together. It doesn't matter if those sins are big or little. Our text talks about situations where one has a complaint against another. In Luke 17, Jesus speaks about situations where it is necessary to rebuke each other. 
What we see is that there are times when sin needs to be confronted so it can be dealt with. Now, obviously, it would be great if someone who sinned against us approached us first. If such a person recognized that what he did was wrong, and if he was willing to take the first step towards reconciliation, most often that doesn't happen. In some situations, a person doesn't realize that they've sinned against us, that we were hurt by what they did. In many situations, shame and fear of consequences prevent someone from acknowledging their wrongdoing. Then it's necessary for the person who's been sinned against to lodge a complaint or to issue a rebuke. The point I want to make, beloved, is that when there are outstanding matters between two parties, communication is necessary. We need to talk. If you've sinned against someone, the matter's never been resolved. Go with a humble heart. Confess your sins. Ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter if the sin has happened a week ago or what happened many years ago. By acknowledging your wrongdoing and seeking forgiveness, you are opening the way for reconciliation. And if, beloved, you were sinned against and have carried the consequences of that for many years, please confront the person who sinned against you. If you have a complaint against another, bring it. If you need to rebuke someone, do it. Perhaps the matter is weighty and you need help. Get help so sin can be confronted. Why keep carrying a burden of pain and hurt, sorrow and grief? Why should you have to struggle with anger and frustration and a desire for revenge? Why are you trying to shove the matter down deep into your heart when you know it's going to keep coming back up? When we confront someone for sinning against us, what are we looking for? What should you be looking for? The Bible teaches that when someone confronts us with our sins, we need to acknowledge them and to repent from them. We need to take ownership. We need to express sorrow for what we've done. Yet repentance involves more than just saying, I'm sorry. It involves more than just the emotion of sorrow. Biblically, to repent means to change your behavior as a result of a complete change of thinking and attitude. When Jesus came preaching the gospel and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he didn't just expect people to be sorry for their sins. He expected them to turn away from their sins, to live a God-pleasing life. In most circumstances, True repentance is necessary for us to forgive our neighbor. It's hard not to dwell on someone's sin or to bring it up again or for it to stand, for it to not to stand in the way of a personal relationship with him or her. 
And the person who sinned against us has not repented. We also need to recognize, beloved, that most often repentance is a process. Our experience of someone sinning against us is often very different from their experience of it. When we confront someone with sin, we need to give them time to understand and digest it. Something that hurt us deeply may not have been something that the other intended. may have been carelessness or selfishness. Without intending or even thinking, it might harm the other. Often some time and communication are needed for past wrongs to be exposed, to be repented of, and forgiven. There's one final thing that needs to be clear. Forgiveness does not mean the elimination of all consequences. David sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront him with his sin. David repented wholeheartedly. And yet there were consequences to his sin. The Lord said that the son born to Bathsheba would die. He also said that the sword would never depart from David's house. His son Ammon raped his daughter Tamar. Another son, Absalom, killed Ammon. And later, Absalom attempted to take over David's kingdom, and he was killed. The same is true in our relationships. Sin can be repented of and forgiven, but there may still be consequences that result from them. When we sin against someone by abusing or molesting or raping or killing them, we also commit a crime. Often that will result in prosecution by law and in doing jail time. We may repent of such sins and be forgiven, but there's still consequences from our sin. When we sin against someone, it often involves a breakdown in trust. We may be forgiven, but it may take time for that trust to be Rebuilt. That too is a consequence of our sin. Accepting this is important. A willingness to accept consequences for sinful behavior is often good evidence that the offender is repentant. This brings us to our final point our motivation for forgiveness. Dealing with someone who has sinned against us is hard. It often brings up deep hurts from the past. There's a lot of situations when we don't want to do it. At times we feel like it's futile. We'll bring things up, the offender will deny them, and in the process we'll get hurt all over again. At times, we don't want to confront those who have sinned against us because we don't want them to be repentant and we don't want to forgive them. We want our pound of flesh to hang on to our anger and our bitterness. 
We don't want to be reconciled. We want God to bring a severe punishment on that person so that he or she gets what they deserve, even if that means suffering in hell forevermore. Do you really wish that on anyone else, beloved? Sometimes in a fit of anger, we might say, go to hell. But would you really want another human being to suffer eternal separation from God? To endure his wrath in eternity? Imagine if that was how God dealt with us. The parable of the unforgiving servant that Jesus told in Matthew 18 makes it clear that the debt caused by our sins against God is a million times greater than the sins of any person against us. The parable also makes clear how the master dealt with the servant whom he forgave when the servant was not willing to forgive his fellow servant. He delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debts. And then Jesus warned, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. What the Bible makes clear is that God is exceedingly gracious with us. And as Christians, God expects us to show that same grace to one another. We're to forgive each other as God has forgiven us. Think, beloved, about what it cost God to forgive us. How he sent his dearly loved son into this world. How he allowed Christ to be nailed to the cross. How God poured out his wrath against the sins of all of humanity on Jesus Christ. How much Christ suffered, the burden he bore, the payment he made for our sake out of thankfulness for so great a redemption, God calls us to forgive as we have been forgiven. But there's more, beloved. There's another reason why God calls us to always be prepared to forgive our neighbor. There's a reason why when someone repents, we must forgive him and her. The reason has to do with our happiness. Living in brokenness is painful. Those who have been sinned against often carry heavy burdens. Pain, sorrow, shame, guilt, anger, bitterness, at times even a desire for revenge. We struggle Because past sins prevent us from living in the joy of faith. There's relationships with family members, friends, or brothers and sisters in the faith that are broken. God doesn't want us to bear those burdens. To continue to struggle from day to day. He wants to set us free. That we may enjoy him and live in fellowship with those around us. And so we see that there are good reasons to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. And yet, often, 
it's incredibly hard. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about being willing to forgive their brothers seven times in a day, the disciples responded to the Lord, increase our faith. And they recognized how difficult it is to forgive those who have sinned against us. They saw that forgiving others requires grace from above. And they asked the Lord for help. We need to pray for God's help when dealing with those who have sinned against us. To pray for his grace and his spirit upon us. We need to pray for God to work powerfully in our hearts, changing us from the inside out. Helping us to let go of our anger, resentment, frustration, and desire for revenge. Teaching us to let go of the pain and the hurt the other person has caused us. Seeing the other as a sinful person, just like me. Recognizing that he or she needs grace just as much as I do. We need to ask God to change our heart so we're willing and able to forgive him or her for whatever they've done against us. We've dealt with a very emotionally charged and difficult topic this morning, beloved. God's call for us to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us is a difficult one. And yet this is what the gospel is all about. Just as God forgives us for all our sins, so we're called to forgive those who have sinned against us. Why? So that we may be reconciled to God and that we may also be reconciled in our relationships together. Living the gospel of forgiveness is hard. Yet it glorifies God. It shows forth our thankfulness to him. Provides a powerful testimony to the world. But what the gospel is all about. May God, by his grace and spirit, help us to forgive each other as he has forgiven us. Amen. response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together. And sing from hymn 63, stanzas 1 and 6.